0: Section 6 of State of the Union Addresses, 1845 to 1848. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. James Polk, December 2, 1846. Part 3. Near the close of your last session, for reasons communicated to Congress, I deemed it important as a measure for securing a speedy peace with Mexico, that a sum of money should be appropriated and placed in the power of the executive, similar to that which had been made upon two former occasions during the administration of President Jefferson. On the 26th of February, 1803, an appropriation of $2 million was made and placed at the disposal of the President. Its object is well known. It was at that time in contemplation to acquire Louisiana from France and it was intended to be applied as a part of the consideration which might be paid for that territory. On the 13th of February 1806 the same sum was in like manner appropriated with a view to the purchase of the Floridas from Spain. These appropriations were made to facilitate negotiations and as a means to enable the president to accomplish the important objects in view. Though it did not become necessary for the President to use these appropriations, yet a state of things might have arisen in which it would have been highly important for him to do so, and the wisdom of making them cannot be doubted. It is believed that the measure recommended at your last session met with the approbation of decided majorities in both Houses of Congress. Indeed, in different forms, a bill making an appropriation of $2 million passed each House and it is much to be regretted that it did not become a law. The reasons which induced me to recommend the measure at that time still exist, and I again submit the subject for your consideration, and suggest the importance of early action upon it. Should the appropriation be made and not needed, it will remain in the Treasury. Should it be deemed proper to apply it, in whole or in part, it will be accounted for as other public expenditures. Immediately after Congress had recognized the existence of the war with Mexico, my attention was directed to the danger that privateers might be fitted out in the ports of Cuba and Puerto Rico to prey upon the commerce of the United States, and I invited the special attention of the Spanish government to the 14th article of our treaty with that power of the 27th of October, 1795 under which the citizens and subjects of either nation who shall take commissions or letters of marque to act as privateers against the other, shall be punished as pirates. It affords me pleasure to inform you that I have received assurances from the Spanish government that this article of the treaty shall be faithfully observed on its part. Orders for this purpose were immediately transmitted from that government to the authorities of Cuba and Puerto Rico to exert their utmost vigilance in preventing any attempts to fit out privateers in those islands against the united states from the good faith of spain i am fully satisfied that this treaty will be executed in its spirit as well as its letter whilst the united states will on their part faithfully perform all the obligations which it imposes on them information has been recently received at the department of state that the Mexican government has sent to Havana blank commissions to privateers and blank certificates of naturalization signed by General Salas, the present head of the Mexican government. There is also reason to apprehend that similar documents have been transmitted to other parts of the world. Copies of these papers in translation are herewith transmitted. As the preliminaries required by the practice of civilized nations for commissioning privateers and regulating their conduct appear not to have been observed, and as these commissions are in blank to be filled up with the names of citizens and subjects of all nations who may be willing to purchase them, the whole proceeding can only be construed as an invitation to all the freebooters upon earth who are willing to pay for the privilege to cruise against American commerce. It will be for our courts of justice to decide whether under such circumstances these mexican letters of mark and reprisal shall protect those who accept them and commit robberies upon the high seas under their authority from the pains and penalties of piracy if the certificates of naturalization thus granted be intended by mexico to shield spanish subjects from the guilt and punishment of pirates under our treaty with spain They will certainly prove unavailing. Such a subterfuge would be but a weak device to defeat the provisions of a solemn treaty. I recommend that Congress should immediately provide by law for the trial and punishment as pirates of Spanish subjects who, escaping the vigilance of their government, shall be found guilty of privateering against the United States. I do not apprehend serious danger from these privateers our Navy will be constantly on the alert to protect our commerce. Besides, in case prizes should be made of American vessels, the utmost vigilance will be exerted by our blockading squadron to prevent the captors from taking them into Mexican ports, and it is not apprehended that any nation will violate its neutrality by suffering such prizes to be condemned and sold within its jurisdiction. I recommend that congress should immediately provide by law for granting letters of mark and reprisal against vessels under the mexican flag it is true that there are but few if any commercial vessels of mexico upon the high seas and it is therefore not probable that many american privateers would be fitted out in case a law should pass authorizing this mode of warfare it is notwithstanding certain that such privateers may render good service to the commercial interests of the country by recapturing our merchant ships, should any be taken by armed vessels under the Mexican flag, as well as by capturing these vessels themselves. Every means within our power should be rendered available for the protection of our commerce. The annual report of the Secretary of the Treasury will exhibit a detailed statement of the condition of the finances. The imports for the fiscal year ending on the thirtieth of June last were of the value of $121,691,797, of which the amount exported was $11,346,623, leaving the amount retained in the country for domestic consumption $110,345,174. The value of the exports for the same period was $113,488,516, of which $102,141,893 consisted of domestic productions and $11,346,623 of foreign articles. The receipts into the Treasury for the same year were $29,499,247.06, of which there was derived from Customs $26,712,667.87, from the sales of public lands $2,694,452.48, and from incidental and miscellaneous sources $92,126.71. The expenditures for the same period were $28,031,114.20, and the balance in the Treasury on the first day of July last was $9,126,439.08. The amount of the public debt, including Treasury notes, on the first of the present month was $24,256,494.60, of which the sum of $17,788,799.62 was outstanding on the 4th of March, 1845, leaving the amount incurred since that time $6,467,694.98. In order to prosecute the war with Mexico with vigor and energy as the best means of bringing it to a speedy and honorable termination, A further loan will be necessary to meet the expenditures for the present and the next fiscal year. If the war should be continued until the 30th of June, 1848, being the end of the next fiscal year, it is estimated that an additional loan of $23 million will be required. This estimate is made upon the assumption that it will be necessary to retain constantly in the Treasury $4 million to guard against contingencies. If such surplus were not required to be retained, then a loan of 19 million dollars would be sufficient. If, however, Congress should at the present session impose a revenue duty on the principal articles now embraced in the free list, it is estimated that an additional annual revenue of about two millions and a half, amounting it is estimated on the 30th of June 1848 to four million dollars, would be derived from that source, and the loan required would be reduced by that amount. It is estimated also that should Congress graduate and reduce the price of such of the public lands as have been long in the market, the additional revenue derived from that source would be annually, for several years to come, between half a million and a million dollars, and the loan required may be reduced by that amount also. Should these measures be adopted, the loan required would not probably exceed 18 or 19 million dollars, leaving in the Treasury a constant surplus of $4 million. The loan proposed, it is estimated, will be sufficient to cover the necessary expenditures both for the war and for all other purposes up to the 30th of June, 1848, and an amount of this loan not exceeding one-half may be required during the present fiscal year and the greater part of the remainder during the first half of the fiscal year succeeding. In order that timely notice may be given and proper measures taken to effect the loan, or such portions of it as may be required, it is important that the authority of Congress to make it be given at an early period of your present session. It is suggested that the loan should be contracted for a period of twenty years, with authority to purchase the stock and pay it off at an earlier period at its market value, out of any surplus which may at any time be in the Treasury applicable to that purpose. After the establishment of peace with Mexico, it is supposed that a considerable surplus will exist and that the debt may be extinguished in a much shorter period than that for which it may be contracted. The period of twenty years, as that for which the proposed loan may be contracted, in preference to a shorter period, is suggested because all experience, both at home and abroad, has shown that loans are effected upon much better terms upon long time than when they are reimbursable at short dates. Necessary as this measure is to sustain the honor and the interests of the country engaged in a foreign war, it is not doubted, but the Congress will promptly authorize it. The balance in the Treasury, on the 1st of July last, exceeded $9 million, notwithstanding considerable expenditures had been made for the war during the months of May and June preceding. But for the war, the whole public debt could and would have been extinguished within a short period, and it was a part of my settled policy to do so and thus relieve the people from its burden and place the government in a position which would enable it to reduce the public expenditures to that economical standard which is most consistent with the general welfare and the pure and wholesome progress of our institutions. Among our just causes of complaint against Mexico, arising out of her refusal to treat for peace, as well before as since the war so unjustly commenced on her part, are the extraordinary expenditures in which we have been involved. Justice to our own people will make it proper that Mexico should be held responsible for these expenditures. Economy in the public expenditures is, at all times, a high duty, which all public functionaries of the government owe to the people this duty becomes the more imperative in a period of war when large and extraordinary expenditures become unavoidable during the existence of the war with mexico all our resources should be husbanded and no appropriations made except such as are absolutely necessary for its vigorous prosecution and the due administration of the government objects of appropriation which in peace may be deemed useful or proper but which are not indispensable for the public service may, when the country is engaged in a foreign war, be well postponed to a future period. By the observance of this policy at your present session, large amounts may be saved to the Treasury and be applied to objects of pressing and urgent necessity, and thus the creation of a corresponding amount of public debt may be avoided. It is not meant to recommend that the ordinary and necessary appropriations for the support of government should be withheld, but it is well known that at every session of Congress appropriations are proposed for numerous objects which may or may not be made without materially affecting the public interests, and these, it is recommended, should not be granted. The Act passed at your last session, reducing the duties on imports, not having gone into operation until the first of the present month, there has not been time for its practical effect upon the revenue and the business of the country to be developed. It is not doubted, however, that the just policy which it adopts will add largely to our foreign trade and promote the general prosperity. Although it cannot be certainly foreseen what amount of revenue it will yield, it is estimated that it will exceed that produced by the Act of 1842 which it superseded. The leading principles established by it are to levy the taxes with a view to raise revenue and to impose them upon the articles imported according to their actual value. The Act of 1842, by the excessive rates of duty which it imposed on many articles, either totally excluded them from importation, or greatly reduced the amount imported, and thus diminished instead of producing revenue. By it, the taxes were imposed not for the legitimate purpose of raising revenue, but to afford advantages to favored classes at the expense of a large majority of their fellow citizens. Those employed in agriculture, mechanical pursuits commerce and navigation were compelled to contribute from their substance to swell the profits and overgrown wealth of the comparatively few who had invested their capital in manufactures the taxes were not levied in proportion to the value of the articles upon which they were imposed but widely departing from this just rule the lighter taxes were in many cases levied upon articles of luxury and high price and the heavier taxes on those of necessity and low price consumed by the great mass of the people it was a system the inevitable effect of which was to relieve favored classes and the wealthy few from contributing their just proportion for the support of government and to lay the burden on the labor of the many engaged in other pursuits than manufactures A system so unequal and unjust has been superseded by the existing law, which imposes duties not for the benefit or injury of classes or pursuits, but distributes and, as far as practicable, equalizes the public burdens among all classes and occupations. The favored classes who, under the unequal and unjust system which has been repealed, have heretofore realized large profits, and many of them amassed large fortunes at the expense of the many who have been made tributary to them will have no reason to complain if they shall be required to bear their just proportion of the taxes necessary for the support of government. So far from it it will be perceived by an examination of the existing law that discriminations in the rates of duty imposed within the revenue principle have been retained in their favour. The incidental aid against foreign competition, which they still enjoy, gives them an advantage which no other pursuits possess, but of this none others will complain because the duties levied are necessary for revenue. These revenue duties, including freights and charges, which the importer must pay before he can come in competition with the home manufacturer in our markets, amount on nearly all our leading branches of manufacture to more than one-third of the value of the imported article, and in some cases to almost one-half its value. With such advantages, it is not doubted that our domestic manufacturers will continue to prosper, realizing in well-conducted establishments even greater profits than can be derived from any other regular business. Indeed, so far from requiring the protection of even incidental revenue duties, our manufacturers in several leading branches are extending their business, giving evidence of great ingenuity and skill and of their ability to compete with increased prospect of success for the open market of the world. Domestic manufactures, to the value of several millions of dollars, which cannot find a market at home, are annually exported to foreign countries. With such rates of duty as those established by the existing law, the system will probably be permanent, and capitalists who are made or shall hereafter make their investments in manufactures will know upon what to rely. The country will be satisfied with these rates, because the advantages which the manufacturers still enjoy result necessarily from the collection of revenue for the support of government. High protective duties from their unjust operation upon the masses of the people cannot fail to give rise to extensive dissatisfaction and complaint, and to constant efforts to change or repeal them, rendering all investments in manufactures uncertain and precarious. Lower and more permanent rates of duty at the same time that they will yield to the manufacturer fair and remunerating profits, will secure him against the danger of frequent changes in the system, which cannot fail to ruinously affect his interests. Simultaneously with the relaxation of the restrictive policy by the United States, Great Britain, from whose example we derived the system, has relaxed hers. She has modified her corn laws and reduced many other duties to moderate revenue rates. After ages of experience, the statesmen of that country have been constrained by a stern necessity, and by a public opinion having its deep foundation in the sufferings and wants of impoverished millions, to abandon a system, the effect of which was to build up immense fortunes in the hands of the few, and to reduce the laboring millions to pauperism and misery. Nearly in the same ratio that labor was depressed, capital was increased and concentrated by the British protective policy. The evils of the system in Great Britain were at length rendered intolerable, and it has been abandoned but not without a severe struggle on the part of the protected and favored classes to retain the unjust advantages which they have so long enjoyed. It was to be expected that a similar struggle would be made by the same classes in the United States whenever an attempt was made to modify or abolish the same unjust system here the protective policy had been in operation in the United States for a much shorter period, and its pernicious effects were not, therefore, so clearly perceived and felt. Enough, however, was known of these effects to induce its repeal. It would be strange if, in the face of the example of Great Britain, our principal foreign customer, and of the evils of a system rendered manifest in that country by long and painful experience, and in the face of the immense advantages, which under a more liberal commercial policy we are already deriving, and must continue to derive, by supplying her starving population with food, the United States should restore a policy which she has been compelled to abandon, and thus diminish her ability to purchase from us the food and other articles which she so much needs and we so much desire to sell. By the simultaneous abandonment of the protective policy by Great Britain and the United States, new and important markets have already been opened for our agricultural and other products. Commerce and navigation have received a new impulse. Labor and trade have been released from the artificial trammels which have so long fettered them. And to a great extent, reciprocity in the exchange of commodities has been introduced at the same time by both countries, and greatly for the benefit of both. Great Britain has been forced by the pressure of circumstances at home to abandon a policy which has been upheld for ages and to open her markets for our immense surplus of breadstuffs. And it is confidently believed that other powers of Europe will ultimately see the wisdom, if they be not compelled by the pauperism and sufferings of their crowded population, to pursue a similar policy. Our farmers are more deeply interested in maintaining the just and liberal policy of the existing law. Than any other class of our citizens they constitute a large majority of our population and it is well known that when they prosper all other pursuits prosper also they have heretofore not only received none of the bounties or favors of government but by the unequal operations of the protective policy have been made by the burdens of taxation which it imposed to contribute to the bounties which have enriched others when a foreign as well as a home market is open to them they must receive as they are now receiving increased prices for their products they will find a readier sale and at better prices for their wheat flour rice indian corn beef pork lard butter cheese and other articles which they produce the home market alone is inadequate to enable them to dispose of the immense surplus of food and other articles which they are capable of producing even at the most reduced prices for the manifest reason that they cannot be consumed in the country the United States can, from their immense surplus, supply not only the home demand, but the deficiencies of food required by the whole world. That the reduced production of some of the chief articles of food in Great Britain and other parts of Europe may have contributed to increase the demand for our breadstuffs and provisions is not doubted, but that the great and efficient cause of this increased demand and of increased prices consists in the removal of artificial restrictions heretofore imposed is deemed to be equally certain. That our exports of food, already increased and increasing beyond former example under the more liberal policy which has been adopted, will be still vastly enlarged unless they be checked or prevented by a restoration of the protective policy cannot be doubted. That our commercial and navigating interests will be enlarged in a corresponding ratio with the increase of our trade is equally certain, while our manufacturing interests will still be the favored interests of the country and receive the incidental protection afforded them by revenue duties, and more than this they cannot justly demand. In my annual message of December last, a tariff of revenue duties based upon the principles of the existing law was recommended, and I have seen no reason to change the opinions then expressed. In view of the probable beneficial effects of that law, I recommend that the policy established by it be maintained. It has but just commenced to operate, and to abandon or modify it without giving it a fair trial, would be inexpedient and unwise. Should defects in any of its details be ascertained by actual experience to exist, these may be hereafter corrected, but until such defects shall become manifest, the act should be fairly tested. It is submitted for your consideration, whether it may not be proper, as a war measure, to impose revenue duties on some of the articles now embraced in the free list. Should it be deemed proper to impose such duties with a view to raise revenue to meet the expenses of the war with Mexico, or to avoid to that extent the creation of a public debt, they may be repealed when the emergency which gave rise to them shall cease to exist and constitute no part of the permanent policy of the country." The act of the 6th of August last, to provide for the better organization of the Treasury, and for the collection, safekeeping, transfer, and disbursement of the public revenue, has been carried into execution as rapidly as the delay necessarily arising out of the appointment of new officers, taking and approving their bonds, and preparing and securing proper places for the safekeeping of the public money would permit. It is not proposed to depart, in any respect, from the principles or policy on which this great measure is rounded. There are, however, defects in the details of the measure developed by its practical operation, which are fully set forth in the report of the Secretary of the Treasury, to which the attention of Congress is invited. These defects would impair, to some extent, the successful operation of the law at all times, but are especially embarrassing when the country is engaged in a war when the expenditures are greatly increased, when loans are to be effected, and the disbursements are to be made at points many hundred miles distant, in some cases from any depository, and a large portion of them in a foreign country. The modifications suggested in the report of the Secretary of the Treasury are recommended to your favorable consideration. In connection with this subject, I invite your attention to the importance of establishing a branch of the Mint of the United States at New York two-thirds of the revenue derived from customs being collected at that point, the demand for specie to pay the duties will be large, and a branch mint where foreign coin and bullion could be immediately converted into American coin would greatly facilitate the transaction of the public business, enlarge the circulation of gold and silver, and be at the same time a safe depository of the public money. The importance of graduating and reducing the price of such of the public lands as have been long offered in the market, at the minimum rate authorized by existing laws, and remain unsold, induces me again to recommend the subject to your favorable consideration. Many millions of acres of these lands have been offered in the market for more than thirty years, and larger quantities for more than ten or twenty years and, being of an inferior quality, they must remain unsalable for an indefinite period, unless the price at which they may be purchased shall be reduced. To place a price upon them above their real value is not only to prevent their sale, and thereby deprive the treasury of any income from that source, but is unjust to the states in which they lie, because it retards their growth and increase of population, and because they have no power to levy a tax upon them as upon other lands within their limits held by other proprietors than the united states for the support of their local governments the beneficial effects of the graduation principle have been realized by some of the states owning the lands within their limits in which it has been adopted They have been demonstrated also by the United States acting as the trustee of the Chickasaw tribe of Indians in the sale of their lands lying within the states of Mississippi and Alabama. The Chickasaw lands, which would not command in the market the minimum price established by the laws of the United States for the sale of their lands, were, in pursuance of the treaty of 1834 with that tribe, subsequently offered for sale at graduated and reduced rates for limited periods. The result was that large quantities of these lands were purchased, which would otherwise have remained unsold. The lands were disposed of at their real value, and many persons of limited means were enabled to purchase small tracts upon which they have settled with their families. That similar results would be produced by the adoption of the graduation policy by the United States in all the states in which they are the owners of large bodies of land, which have been long in the market, cannot be doubted. It cannot be a sound policy to withhold large quantities of the public lands from the use and occupation of our citizens by fixing upon them prices which experience has shown they will not command. On the contrary, it is a wise policy to afford facilities to our citizens to become the owners at low and moderate rates of freeholds of their own, instead of being the tenants and dependents of others. If it be apprehended that these lands, if reduced in price, would be secured in large quantities by speculators or capitalists, the sales may be restricted in limited quantities to actual settlers or persons purchasing for purposes of cultivation. In my last annual message, I submitted for the consideration of Congress the present system of managing the mineral lands of the United States and recommended that they should be brought into market and sold upon such terms and under such restrictions as Congress might prescribe. By the Act of the 11th of July last, the reserved lead mines and contiguous lands in the states of Illinois and Arkansas and the territories of Wisconsin and Iowa were authorized to be sold. The Act is confined in its operation to lead mines and contiguous lands. A large portion of the public lands, containing copper and other ores, is represented to be very valuable, and I recommend that provision be made authorizing the sale of these lands, upon such terms and conditions as from their supposed value may in the judgment of Congress be deemed advisable, having due regard to the interests of such of our citizens as may be located upon them. It will be important during your present session to establish a territorial government and to extend the jurisdiction and laws of the United States over the Territory of Oregon. Our laws regulating trade and intercourse with the Indian tribes east of the Rocky Mountains should be extended to the Pacific Ocean. And, for the purpose of executing them and preserving friendly relations with the Indian tribes within our limits, an additional number of Indian agencies will be required and should be authorized by law. The establishment of custom houses, and of post offices and post roads and provision for the transportation of the mail on such routes as the public convenience will suggest require legislative authority it will be proper also to establish a surveyor general's office in that territory and to make the necessary provision for surveying the public lands and bringing them into market as our citizens who now reside in that distant region have been subjected to many hardships privations and sacrifices in their emigration and by their improvements have enhanced the value of the public lands in the neighborhood of their settlements, it is recommended that liberal grants be made to them of such portions of these lands as they may occupy, and that similar grants or rights of preemption be made to all who may emigrate thither within a limited period, prescribed by law. The report of the Secretary of War contains detailed information relative to the several branches of the public service connected with that department the operations of the Army have been of a satisfactory and highly gratifying character. I recommend to your early and favorable consideration the measures proposed by the Secretary of War for speedily filling up the rank and file of the regular Army, for its greater efficiency in the field, and for raising an additional force to serve during the war with Mexico. Embarrassment is likely to arise for want of legal provision authorizing compensation to be made to the agents employed in the several states and territories to pay the revolutionary and other pensioners the amounts allowed to them by law. Your attention is invited to the recommendations of the Secretary of War on this subject. These agents incur heavy responsibilities and perform important duties and no reason exists why they should not be placed on the same footing as to compensation with other dispersing officers our relations with the various indian tribes continue to be of a pacific character the unhappy dissensions which have existed among the cherokees for many years past have been healed since my last annual message important treaties have been negotiated with some of the tribes by which the Indian title to large tracts of valuable land within the limits of the states and territories has been extinguished, and arrangements made for removing them to the country west of the Mississippi. Between three thousand and four thousand of different tribes have been removed to the country provided for them by treaty stipulations, and arrangements have been made for others to follow. In our intercourse with the several tribes, particular attention has been given to the important subject of education, the number of schools established among them has been increased and additional means provided not only for teaching them the rudiments of education but of instructing them in agriculture and the mechanic arts i refer you to the report of the secretary of navy for a satisfactory view of the operations of the department under his charge during the past year it is gratifying to perceive that while the war with Mexico has rendered it necessary to employ an unusual number of our armed vessels on her coasts, the protection due to our commerce in other quarters of the world has not proved insufficient. No means will be spared to give efficiency to the naval service in the prosecution of the war, and I am happy to know that the officers and men anxiously desire to devote themselves to the service of their country in any enterprise, however difficult of execution." I recommend to your favorable consideration the proposition to add to each of our foreign squadrons an efficient sea steamer and, as especially demanding attention, the establishment at Pensacola of the necessary means of repairing and refitting the vessels of the Navy employed in the Gulf of Mexico. There are other suggestions in the report which deserve, and I doubt not will receive your consideration. The progress and condition of the mail service for the past year are fully presented in the report of the Postmaster General. The revenue for the year ending on the 30th of June last amounted to $3,487,199, which is $802,642.45 less than that of the preceding year. The payments for that department during the same time amounted to $4,084,297.22. Of this sum, $597,097.80 have been drawn from the Treasury. The disbursements for the year were $236,434.77 less than those of the preceding year. While the disbursements have been thus diminished, the mail facilities have been enlarged by new mail routes of 5,739 miles, an increase of transportation of 1,764,145 miles, and the establishment of 418 new post offices. Contractors, postmasters, and others engaged in this branch of service have performed their duties with energy and faithfulness deserving commendation for many interesting details connected with the operations of this establishment you are referred to the report of the postmaster general and his suggestions for improving its revenues are recommended to your favourable consideration i repeat the opinion expressed in my last annual message that the business of this department should be so regulated that the revenues derived from it should be made to equal the expenditures and it is believed that this may be done by proper modifications of the present laws as suggested in the report of the Postmaster General, without changing the present rates of postage. With full reliance upon the wisdom and patriotism of your deliberations, it will be my duty, as it will be my anxious desire, to cooperate with you in every constitutional effort to promote the welfare and maintain the honor of our common country. James K. Polk End of Section 6. Recording by Colleen McMahon